Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. It's Friday, May 20, what is it, the 29th, wow, 2015. This week is episode 370. My name is Radio Joe Hughes and here with me in the studio at the controls is John, you gotta have faith, coming to us from Studio C in the McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania headquarters is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. Good day, Cliff. Our guest this week is Richard Rue. He's with Energy Wise Structures down in the Dallas, Texas area. Very interesting show this week. I'm looking forward to it. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. Okay, last but not least, visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Congratulations. Doug Conan, Aerotech Environmental in Dayton, Ohio, for answering our last trivia question. The IEQ Radio trivia question for Friday, May 29, 2015, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restores and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events, Check out their website. It is trsca.org. Now for today's IEQ Radio trivia question. Name the world's first nuclear power plant to generate electricity for commercial use. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. This week we've got Richard Rue. He's the founder of Energy Wise Structures, a company dedicated to the study, integration, and application of cutting-edge technology for reducing energy consumption. The Energy Wise analysis predicts remarkable savings, usually over 70%, of heating and cooling costs when building these ultra-energy-efficient structures compared to conventional construction. The development of the program began as the brainchild of an ex-NASA engineer who designed the heating and cooling 
cooling systems for the original Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo space capsules. Richard became involved early on with these engineers and participated in their first house. Uh, they called that the spinoff. Over 30 years of direct work with these guys and uh, the foundation of the education in ultra energy efficient construction. They've had a lot of research, testing, and they found that the program works nationwide. They've been doing a lot of work in Dallas, but also around the country. The EnergyWise computer program is proprietary. It was co-authored by our guest and William Poucher, PhD. Rich is also a past member of ASHRAE and ASTM. He served on some ASTM committees, establishing testing standards in the insulation industry, and he's been widely interviewed about the energy, uh, energy-wise structures. So I think we've got some music for our guest. Richard, do we have you on the line? Yes, you sure do. Great to have you. Thank you. I, I botched the intro there, but I, I'm going to make a comeback on this. Part of the reason I think I botched it, I, I wasn't sure how much to give away during the intro with respect to the background and, and how you got to where you're at. 30 years now, you've been building these energy-wise structures. Tell us a little more about how the company got started. It's an interesting story. Sure, Absolutely. Well, it was actually started by the original four engineers that developed the heating and cooling systems for the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo space capsule programs. And what happened back in the late 70s, as the space program was winding down, one of the last projects we had was they were asking us to figure out ways to vent bodily waste into outer space without throwing the capsules off of their trajectories. And so we we felt like if it's come down to that, that we need to, to... look at different avenues to go into. And the reason we like to start with a little bit about our history is because people don't realize what a hostile environment, or most people don't realize what a hostile environment outer space is. Uh, You know, when the capsules are in the the sunlight, it's over 450 degrees Fahrenheit. It's literally like being in a frying pan. And yet when it rotates behind the earth or behind the moon into the shadows, it instantly drops to over 300 degrees below zero. So you're basically dealing with nearly an 800-degree delta T. And in the original capsules, the systems that our guys designed would only use 400 watts of electricity a day, like burning four 100-watt light bulbs, to keep them at a constant cabin temperature of 70 degrees. And even in the space shuttle, you know, and, and of course the space shuttle is considerably larger. It's with the cargo bay. It's about 900 square feet of conditioned space. Uh, it only utilized about 1,200 watts of electricity a day to maintain a 70-degree cabin temperature. And what happened, one of our guys was building his own home, and he took the standard manual J at the time, and he ran the calculations and just went ballistic, pardon the pun. (laughs) But, uh, you know, he couldn't believe it would take that much energy to keep his house at, uh, at design temperatures when we could do all these wonderful things for these capsules with uh, with the space program. And so we decided to branch out and get into the uh, uh, residential and light commercial construction business and utilize a lot of the uh, 
technology that we had developed and, and uh, information that we knew was possible through the space program and, and uh, do what we do. Now, my background personally, uh, and what makes us so unique, is I grew up in the insulation business. My father was a cellulose manufacturer, and he actually started uh, manufacturing cellulose back in 1956 and applied and received one of the first UL listings on cellulose insulation. And in the late 60s, uh, I'm sorry, early 60s, he developed with three gentlemen out of Houston uh, a company called, at that time, National Cellulose Corporation, uh, and, and they developed spray-on cellulose insulation. So my background was very heavy in the insulation business, and it seemed like such a perfect match to partner up with these folks because of uh, their, their background and what they did. And, of course, my interests were always in mechanical, and when I went to school I uh, did take mechanical courses and decided to become a mechanical engineer. And that's, that's sort of the story of how we got started and, and got into the business. Well, when when the other engineers looked at, you know, they're building their first home, they're shocked at what it's going to take compared to the space, you know, space program to heat or cool their home. What did they find was the biggest reason for that huge difference? Well, there were actually several reasons. And in the original house that we did in, in 1981, and you, you touched on it in your introduction, uh, NASA puts out a periodical called Spinoff, and every year they, they put out a, this periodical that talks about companies that were a direct spinoff of the NASA space program. And we entered a, a national home builders contest for the most energy efficient home for the year and did our, our, the things that we knew would work very well at that time on this home. And of course we won. And, uh, that, that caused us to be written up in that 1981 edition of spinoff as a spinoff company from NASA. And we, we literally thought people would just be beating down our doors because we could easily show that based on how they were building homes at that time, that we could make the home at least 70 to 80% more efficient than what they were doing. And it was a combination of several things, and one of them was certainly how tight the home was. Uh, back in that period of time when lower doors really were just coming out and they were, they were real novelty, the average house would run nine to ten, sometimes twelve air changes an hour. And what we did, we were we were getting them down at that time to about three air changes per hour at 50 Pascal. And so certainly the tightness of the home made a huge difference. But some of the other things that we did at that time is we would come in and we would wrap the inside of the home. We would come back and we would we would straighten out the insulation. We did a number of fiberglass homes trying to see how well we could make fiberglass work. And we would come in after the installer had put them in, and we would cut the, the bats and work them around the piping and around the electrical outlets and make them fit very precisely and, and do it like it was supposed to be done instead of the way they were doing it at the time. And then once we got all that straightened up, we would do a, a tremendous caulking package, and then we'd top that off with putting on all the exterior walls a polyester material, just like spacesuits are made out of. And we put it on the walls and the roofs. The only places we didn't put it was where they had running water, like in the laundry room, the bathrooms, and the kitchen, so that the moisture, the excess moisture, could escape and go through the sheetrock and, and on out of the house without being impaired by a, a, a vapor barrier. 
And those houses worked very, very well. But as technology changed and materials changed and we, we started getting into all of the thermal dynamics of the house itself and taking a much more holistic approach, we have perfected the program over the years to where it's just incredible what we can do today. Cliff, do you, do you want to follow up on that or do you want me to move? No, you can go. All right. I'm, I'm curious about how – I want to get into more of the building science, but before we do – Let's talk a little bit about how energy-wise structures, you know, how do you make your money? What, what service are you selling? Well, we are strictly an engineering firm. And we are fixing to branch out big time nationwide. We, we've done it on a, a limited basis, but we're really going to uh, start making a huge push to compete directly with Energy Star. And what we hope to do is we hope to utilize HERS raters and teach them how to inspect jobs for, uh, for EnergyWise and then let them go out and, and push and sell the EnergyWise programs to builders and homeowners and architects and engineers uh, as a guaranteed energy program. When we do our program, there are three things that we absolutely take on our back and guarantee unconditionally. One of them is we guarantee correct sizing of the HVAC equipment. Huge thing. If the house doesn't work and doesn't work to design specifications uh, and the units are too small or too large, then we are responsible for uh, making sure that they get changed out so that they do work properly. So we guarantee correct sizing. Number two is we guarantee humidity rates. As long as the units are running, we guarantee that that house has been engineered to maintain between 35% on the low side to uh, 50% on the high side relative humidity at all times. And even before it became a, 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 a cliche about building healthy homes, we were building healthy homes 30 years ago because when you keep it in those ranges, even dust mites cannot survive, nor can mold and mildew grow and proliferate throughout a house when, when it's in those humidity ranges. And third, when they use our duct designs, we guarantee comfort. Everyone has been in a house on a cold winter day or a hot summer day, and you've got one or two rooms in that house that they're either too hot or they're too cold, and you call the HVAC guy out and he plays with the duct system and tries to adjust, and he just can't seem to get it right. So you always have one or two rooms that are either too hot or too cold. And we guarantee that when you utilize our duct system, and it's something that, that we have really perfected over the years, that uh, each room will maintain less than half a degree temperature differential between each room and between that up and down. And everybody's been in a house in the summertime when you're downstairs and it's cool and you get about halfway up the stairs and you go, whoo, feel that temperature differential, hmm. you know, and, and that's because it just wasn't engineered correctly and, and done correctly. And so we guarantee thermal comfort. And then the last thing we guarantee is we guarantee consumption. We have you put on a, 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 an electric uh, sub-meter, and we use a cyclonic meter. It's like reading a speedometer on a car, uh, numbers. And so if one month you're at 7,000 kilowatt hours and the next month you're at 7,500 kilowatt hours, I mean, it's very simple that you know you used 500 kilowatt hours. And if your kilowatt rate is 12 cents a kilowatt hour, you multiply that 500 times 0.12, and that will tell you exactly how much energy you used for, for cooling uh, and possibly heating if it's a heat pump for that month. Now, if it's a gas system or, or propane, which I, I hate propane, we'll talk about that a little further 
later on. But if it's a gas system or, or uh, you know, fuel oil or whatever, then what you do is you take June, July, and August and you do a base load. And we've never had any customer really fuss about this, but uh, if your base load, say, is $30 a month at average for June, July, and August, then when heating season kicks in, we, we deduct the base load and the rest of it's ours. And if it goes over in the first two years, we can give a two-year or a five-year warranty, whichever they prefer. Uh, and if it goes over, we not only pay the difference based on an average, but we'll also come back and re-engineer the house and find out why it went over and make corrections to make sure it stays within the, the engineered parameters. And, and that's kind of the crux of how we make our money is is doing engineering work, and then, then it certainly generates a lot of work for the HERS Raiders to go out and do their inspections and uh, for us, you know, our inspections and blower door tests and things like that, and it gives them another niche and tool in their, their tool belt to go out and market. You know, you mentioned Energy Star earlier, and we've had Sam Rashkin on the program, and we've we've that was before he we went over to DOE, and actually after as well. But I'm I'm curious. There were I guess this is the third version of Energy Star, and I'm wondering, do you see any improvement in the third version? I actually see it being worse. Hmm. Well, why is that? Well, let me tell you a little story about Sam Rashkin, and, and I like him. Sam is a nice guy, and Sam and I started having conversations back in 1998, and he actually contacted us uh, with a gentleman named Blaine Collison, and he was feeling us out to write the software for the Energy Star program back then. And we declined. And the reason we declined is because we felt it would be doing uh, uh, HERS Raiders an injustice to let them go to school for a week and then go out and try and play engineer. I mean, that just it, it's really insulting to our industry. And so we declined on that. And uh, But we, we remained friendly and, and talked over the years. And Sam gave me a call back in 2002. My brother and I were headed back from, from Washington. We'd been up there for a meeting, and we stopped off in Maryland and picked up a car that my, was my daughter's, and we're driving back to Texas. And right outside of Nashville, I got this call, my brother and I did, from Sam Rashkin and Blaine Collison. And Sam's, uh, Blaine said that they were monitoring five houses in Chicago that were all built new, and they were trying to verify the HERS rating, and, and they had a real problem that came up. And he said what happened was that all five of these houses were pretty close in size. They were between 5,500 and 6,000 square feet of air-conditioned and heated space. And he said they were all done to the Energy Star ratings, and they all rated about an 85. They were all very close in their ratings, except he said one of them was a little bit higher. It was an 86, and as it turned out, it was an energy-wise engineered house. And so they waited till the end of the year, and they pulled their total utility bills, and he said that all five of these houses were averaging between $500 and $600 per month average, except the EnergyWise house, which was averaging $125 per month average. And he wanted to know why. And that's when we had one of the first in-depth talks of why prescriptive programs don't work nearly as well as performance programs. Hmm. And so you don't think there's been any improvement in in the most no, recent I, I version, no, I really don't. Because okay. uh, literally, builders are running away from the Energy Star Three program, and and what they're doing, uh, Sam Rashkin, and I love him to death, great guy, but he's an architect by trade. He's not an engineer, and he he's taken this program and he's done a good job of getting the builders to build houses to code, 
But when it really comes to super energy efficient housing, they just miss the boat. And, and what they do is, is they're wanting to put in an ERV on every house or an HVRC, and they also want to follow that up with a whole house dehumidifier. Well, if you do your mechanicals right to begin with, you really don't need either one of those. And why ask a builder to be, spend anywhere from 3500 to $10,000 more to do systems he does not need? Now, I, we're, we're a little different. I'm going to tell you that, that we go against the curve on a lot of these companies out there. We do believe that dilution of inside air is a solution. We don't necessarily believe that outside ventilation is the total solution. In some areas, it works beautifully. But, you know, if you go to EPA and check the website, over 50% of the country has terrible air quality. Why bring in outside air that many times is just as dangerous as the inside air to dilute it when, when it's that bad. And so we are big believers in, in filtration, a, a great filtration system on the, the, the units to dilute the air and then put in what's called ventilation on demand where you've got a CO2 sensor that monitors the inside air and then and only then if it builds up so many parts of uh, per million of uh, inferior air uh, that's got too much CO2 and it actually monitors seven other gases as well, then and only then it will turn on the fan to the air conditioner, even if it's off or if it's on heating or cooling, it will open up an outside duct, a, a damperized duct, and bring in some outside air to freshen it up until it, it uh, reaches the levels where it shuts itself off. Uh, you know, we're not, uh, there are certain areas that ERVs and HVRCs are wonderful if you're in a dry climate. If you start using those down south in the high humidity areas, you're asking for problems because what Sam doesn't seem to realize is that HVAC equipment, the new stuff with all the high SEER ratings, has a tremendous amount of, of uh, fallacy in it in that, that the new units can, can be as, 20, uh, as much as 22% less dehumidifying capabilities than PINSER units just made just five years ago. And so if you start bringing in hot, humid, polluted outside air in high humidity areas, you're going to run the real risk of creating a mold problem for them. So I would imagine you're not a big fan of ASHRAE 62.2 then. I think it's a joke. Hmm. And so does my buddy uh, Joe Stebrick. Let's run the numbers on that for just a second. And you tell me if you you don't agree that it's, that it's, it's just unbelievable. The way it was originally written, they wanted one CFM for every 100 square feet of conditioned space. So let's assume we're going to build a 3,000-square-foot house that's a three-bedroom house, okay? So we're going to put in 30 CFMs for the square footage. Now, this is right out of ASHRAE. Then they want 7.5 CFMs for every bedroom plus one. They want you to add a bedroom. So if it's, if it's a three-bedroom house, you treat it like it's a four-bedroom house and so forth. So 7.5, if this three-bedroom house times four is going to be another 30. Another 30, and they're saying okay. 30 CFMs is the perfect amount for this house. Well, what if the house only has 15% glass-to-wall ratio? What if it has 50% glass-to-wall ratio? What if it has four bathrooms and all the penetrations for the baths and the laundries and then the vent hood and all that? I mean, there, it, it's just an insane to, to sit there and say, that CFM is going to work every single time. 
And, and if, if that's what they want, you know, one of the systems that we use gives you 250 CFMs constant of, the, of filtrated air that uh, is, is very high quality, you know, uh, dilution air. So, no, I, I'm not a big fan of Asherah U62.2. So the the system you're that's an up upgrade, right? The the 250 CFM system that's yeah. an additional. We uh, highly recommend it in the south. Now, in the north, you know, or in dry climates, using an ERV is fine, and, and they don't have problems with them. And you know, I don't have any problem in 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 us engineering those into those projects that they want. But in the south, I do because you know. There's so many little things that, that Energy Star misses. Let, let me give you another for instance. Did you realize that a, a, an 80% AFUE rated furnace is more efficient than a 90%? You know what AFU? I, I know you do. Let's, let's, say, let's spell it out for the listeners. Okay. Uh, AFUE stands for Annual Fuel Utilization of Energy. And the higher the AFUE rating, supposedly the, the more efficient the furnace is, because it's using less uh, gas. It's like taking your car to a service station to fill up with gas, and you put the nozzle in your tank, and you you pump out eight gallons, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then you pull it out of the tank, and you put it on the ground and pump out the next two. (laughs) So you've got two that are just wasted. Well, that's exactly what what they're doing with these gas furnaces. Eighty percent of the fuel is being burnt efficiently. Twenty percent is going right out the flue. And I get real tickled when I hear the gas industry talk about Good, clean, natural gas. The heck it is. Go stick your nose up in that flue. It'll kill you. <laughs> and, and so a 90% just means, or a 95% means it burns 90 or 95% of the fuel efficiently, and you're still losing a half a gallon to a gallon out the roof. Well, what people don't realize is it's a, com- it's a closed combustion unit, and it has an extra third to a half-horse motor to run that combustion chamber and when you analyze the extra energy that it uses for the electric motor, it uses more energy than it saves in gas. And you pay it, on average, 1500 to $2,000 as an upgrade to get that furnace. Hmm. Now, I'll get, I'll get some comments on that one. My, my, my HVAC guys will definitely uh, send me a few emails, so we'll, <laughs> we'll keep in touch. That's interesting. All right, what other, what, what are the other big... Um, Building science related, you know, we, we've talked about the tightness. Obviously, you know, everybody knows we've got to build tighter to get better energy efficiency. We talked a little bit about sizing of the mechanical system. What are you? Do you have a preference with respect to the type of mechanical system I and mean, ground source heat? What, what are you using? Uh, what's most common in your homes? Well, I'm not a big fan of single-speed equi- uh, equipment. Now, your HVAC guys are going to love me now. Okay. They may hate me for that, but they're fixing to love me because a single-speed piece of equipment is like buying a car that when you turn on the engine and you put it in drive, you floorboard it, and you keep it floorboarded until you get there, and you let up, slam on the brakes, and shut it off. And, it, you know, you have to size it based on your worst-case conditions. Well, in Dallas, Texas, worst case is going to be mid-afternoon in August. And it may say you need a five-ton system for that. And yet 90% of the time, in the, at nighttime, spring, fall, winter, so forth, you may only need two tons or, or you know, two and a half tons, maybe half the, 
the uh, the size that it is. So I'm a I'm a huge believer in variable speed equipment that's controlled with humidistats, uh, variable speed air handlers with two speed and and actually variable speed condensers. They have those out now, and they're more expensive. But I, in my opinion, they are well worth the the money spent. And what they'll do is they'll what makes you comfortable, whether you're at home or whether you're out on the golf course or whether you're you're at your office is humidity levels. And any, any of you guys out there that are golfers, if you go outside and you play around the golf and the humidity outside is 80%, by the time you get through the second hole, you're going to look like somebody poured a bucket of water on you. Mm-hmm. And yet if it's 75 degrees and, and it's under 50% relative humidity outside, you're going to be very cool and very crisp, and it's not going to be a problem. So humidity is really part of the key. And as long as you're controlling that humidity, and it's hard to control the humidity in the air conditioning states with single-speed equipment. It can be controlled fairly well, but not nearly as well as using variable-speed air handlers and, and the variable-speed condensers or two-speed condensers. And what about on the heating side? Up, You know, you do some heating in, in Dallas area, but um, we're dealing oh, more with heating. Well, we're not quite 50 Are you? Okay. About uh, 60, 40. But, yes, absolutely. Uh, It it depends on your heating loads. Uh, If the heating loads aren't large enough, I'm not big on gas, and I know people are. But all the improvements they made on on the new heat pumps, you know, when heat pumps first came out, people would say, oh, I just hate them because they feel so cold. And they would. You know, if you walk into a room and you had that air blowing directly on you, at that time it was about 90-degree air, and if it was blowing your hair back, you, because your body temperature is 98.6, yeah. 7, uh, 6, 98.6, 7, uh, you're going to feel very cool. But the new heat pumps, most of them put out 100 to 105 degree heat. So you don't have that anymore, number one. And number two, if that's what you were feeling to begin with, that was a misdesigned system. Because if you walk into a room and it's 90 degrees, guess what? You're going to sweat. You just don't want to feel that 90-degree air blowing on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, oh, it looks like we're real close. Yeah, we're real close. We're going to take a break here and thank our sponsors. And then when we come back up for the second half, I want to talk a little bit about cost to start with and then get a little more into detail on insulation. I know you're, you've got a strong background in insulation, and you've got some interesting thoughts on insulation types and i want to make sure listeners are aware we're going to talk about that when we get back in about 90 seconds with richard rue energy wise structures great stuff so far the indoor air quality association a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research visit them at iaqa.org gray wolf sensing solutions we use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. 
Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got Richard Rue. And Cliff, before I start in here, did you have anything you wanted to add or ask? Um, no, I think that, you know, what I'm amazed by is the fact that um, Richard and his company, you know, seem to do the opposite of what everyone else does. You know, rather than skirting responsibility, they take responsibility, uh, you know, and they accept, you know, they guarantee stuff and, and so on and so forth. I'm just real impressed with the confidence. And, uh, you know, I thought that his, uh, his, uh, comment on prescriptive versus performance uh, is also, you know, similar to my belief in terms of industry standards and, and things like that. So, I think he and I believe a lot in common. I knew that would get your attention. All right, let's go on to. Uh, I want to. I want to talk a little bit about the the foundation of the home. You know, your your foundation walls. Your 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 foundational structure you recommend i believe it's four basic types of a foundation wall can you tell us why and and what your experience has been with these different types of foundation wall well it's it's not just four uh joe but but there are four that we have listed on our website that automatically you know we we, we want to work with those folks because we know the problems they're going to incur uh even other engineering firms the, the problem is we are taught to believe, as engineers, whatever ASHRAE tells us. And if it's an ASHRAE, that's the Bible for an engineer. And unfortunately, uh, there, there's a number of things that ASHRAE, you know, just hasn't gone far enough to tell you about. Like, uh, you know, I, I wrote a paper a, a number of years ago called the R-Value Myth. And, and I wrote that because, you know, R-Value is based strictly on conduction. And there's three forms of heat transfer. There's conduction, convection, and radiation. And when insulations don't take into account convection and radiation, you know, you lose a lot of performance when you have extremes. Now, if you live in Miami or you live in San Diego or you live in Hawaii, it's not a big deal. You don't have an extreme. You live in Dallas, Texas, where we had 72 days in 2011 of over 100-degree heat and all the way up to 110, that's an extreme. And so convection and radiation certainly comes into play. So uh, uh, we like foam insulations, and I know a lot of people don't. Uh, we like rigid foam. We think it's great. We also like well-done and correctly applied polyurethane spray foam. We like cellulose when it's done correctly, and I even like some rock wool when it's done correctly. I'm not a fiberglass fan at all. And even with all the new techniques of sealing up a house, I think there are too many variables to fiberglass. And I actually wrote a paper back in 1985 that I had published talking about are you, a little pun there, are you getting what you are paying for? And basically the way they were installing fiberglass at that time with inset stapling and not cutting around the wiring or the plumbing fixtures in the wall and things of that nature, the bottom line was you you were losing as much as 70% of the R value 
strictly due to the way they were installing it, much less the way it performs when you, you get air in there. Because what people don't realize is everybody's been in a house, Joe, on a, on a cold, blustery winter day, and you go to flip on a light switch on an exterior wall or you go to plug in a vacuum on that exterior wall and you feel that cold air coming through that wall. Mm-hmm. You could have a wall 10 feet thick insulated with an R100 of fiberglass. And if you feel that cold air coming through the wall, you have zero R factor because the convective currents just defeated the R factor of the insulation in that wall. Hmm. Or you take a summer day in, in Texas when it's 100 degrees outside and you've got a west-facing brick wall and that brick heats up by late afternoon, you can go in and put a thermometer on that inside wall, and even though you may have the temperature set on 74, 75 degrees, and the house may be 74, 75 degrees, but that wall will be as high as 90 degrees. 89 to 90 degrees because of the radiant effects of the mineral fiber insulation heating up and radiating through that wall. So we're not big on mineral fiber insulations as much as as cellulose and and foams and and a little bit of rock wool. Okay. So uh, let me also kind of clarify to my HVAC guys, I don't want them getting all mad at me, (laughs) what I was talking about a while ago, we certainly recommend 90% furnaces. Okay. Because we like encapsulated attics, and we tell the customers they are well worth the money. They are a little more efficient on the gas side. Uh, you can vent them in special ways you can't do with an 80%. There's just so many factors why to upgrade. But realistically, just looking at it from an energy standpoint, the 80% is more efficient than the 90%. Hmm. Now, with these so, fo- foundation walls, I noticed you, you had four that you mentioned and I'm curious if you had your you're building your home. What what's your foundation wall? Well, I'm on my third energy wise home, and the one I'm in right now, I've got uh, structurally insulated panels, and I've got ICF forms in my basement, and then I've got a garage that I stick framed and spray foamed it, and so I've actually got three of what I consider some of the best done. And I've got monitors all over it, and there is very little performance difference in, in any of them. Hmm. And quite honestly, if, if uh, customers out there, builders, are, Joe, are hard to change. They don't want to change the way they've been driving that nail for the last 20 years. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I've got so, a little construction company. Trying to get so. them where they're, they're in their comfort zone, what I would recommend, the first thing anybody does, when they go to a builder and they say, I want a more energy-efficient home, the first thing they always do is they say, let's build it out of 2x6s instead of 2x4s. I want more insulation in those walls. Okay. And that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. But what they don't realize is when you sit down and you calculate the dimensional lumber in an exterior wall and you literally start counting up the width of each 2x4 or 2x6, it typically averages between 22 to 28% of the exterior wall. And then you take your glass load. Right now, most people in most parts of the country are, are using glass that has a U-value of around a 3.5, or less. Okay? And those are pretty decent windows. 0.33 converts back in R factor to an R3. And compared to what we were using in Dallas two or three years ago, that's great. But, uh, you know, uh, again... When you take that and you calculate all that up, that means that 50% of your exterior wall on average is going to be an R3 or less. Because a 2x4 only has an R factor of 3 and a 2x4 has an R factor of 4. 
So what I recommend, and, and you can literally get the efficiency of a structurally insulated panel house, a SIP house, if you'll do two-by-six headers and two-by-six base plates, and then come in and stud that wall up with two-by-fours, 24 inches on center, that's going to give you literally a stud every one foot apart. It's stronger than a straight two-by-six wall, 16 inches on center, mm-hmm. except at the corners. You have to do some special bracing and advanced framing. But it's cheaper than building a straight two-by-six wall because in most parts of the country right now, when you go to any lumber yard, you can buy two two-by-four-by-tens for about the same price as one two-by-six-by-ten. And you're only adding about 25 to 30 extra two-by-fours to do this type of wall system for every 100 linear feet. So you can build, it's literally like building a sound wall. Uh, Anybody who's done apartments and things like that where they're doing sound walls and staggered studs Mm -hmm. to to create uh, firewalls and things, it's that type of system except you're using a two-by-six header, two-by-six base plate, and then two-by-fours to to set it out. And that gives you a thermal break when you when you insulate it with either cellulose or sprayed rock wool or sprayed foam uh, to where you, you literally eliminate that thermal break ever 16 inches on center. Are you and doing... it, it, it's not going to cost you any more in insulation than doing a regular 2x6 wall. So for the walls, that's great. But what people don't seem to, to grasp and where builders really don't grasp it, just insulating that wall with super insulation isn't going to get you where you want to go. If you don't do a really, really good air infiltration package, and I can tell you uh, that you cannot over-caulk a structure. Mm-hmm. And I mean caulk. Don't let them use polyseal, except maybe around windows and doors where you have real large openings. Uh, I, I recommend to our people that they use a uh, 35-year guaranteed vinyl acrylic siliconized caulk and caulk each individual stud to the inside of the house and caulk it a couple of inches back toward the, the wall so that when it's sprayed that it catches in there so there's no possibility for it to leak. Each stud. And if it's a double header, you caulk the crack between the header. If you've got a point load where you've got like eight studs in the wall to support a beam that comes across because you've got a heavy kip load, then you want to caulk each one of those studs because each one is a potential place for air to come through that wall and hit the sheetrock and be skirting around on the inside. And so if you caulk it correctly and do a good thermal envelope and then you've got a decent window and you have our mechanical systems, you're going to have a success story every single time. There's just four things, really, and then, well, five, because it must be inspected by a a qualified inspector to make sure it's done correctly. And as far as caulking is concerned, what I tell my people is I say, look at it with these kind of eyes. You want to look at it and say, if I flip that upside down, except for the windows and doors, will it float? And if the answer is no, because you can see cracks that haven't been caulked, then it's not caulked well enough. And what what does all this cost in, in comparison to a normal home? I understand we're going to save money on certain things, but what what's the premium cost on that? Well, to cost uh, the cost to caulk a, a 3,000-square-foot home is probably – Three or four hundred dollars maximum. That's materials, labor, and everything. And and uh, I, in fact, I had this very conversation with a gentleman on LinkedIn uh, the other day because he, he was advocating using this fancy coating on the exterior, which is fine as long as it. You know, I, I'm all for anything that's quicker and better if it if it's cost effective. 
but it was going to cost on the same house about uh, eleven about a thousand dollars to eleven hundred dollars. And I said, e- even if it's a better system, you know, quicker system, not not better, quicker. I, I couldn't justify it because you know there's six hundred dollars difference, <laughs> and we get the same result. So. Uh, about three to four hundred dollars for the caulking, then whatever the cost is in your area for either dense pack cellulose or sprayed cellulose or or rock wool into the walls, sprayed into the walls. And now attics, it, this is where you get into a tricky part. I recommend spray foam in the attics because you can dense pack them, you can do it, but you run the risk of it, it not being tight enough up there over the long haul and pulling away from the substrate. And if it does, you run a potential of having condensation on the inside of that next to the substrate. And so I, I highly recommend uh, open or closed cell foam sprayed in the attic to encapsulate it and do a closed attic. In, in most parts of the country, by doing that, on a 3,000-square-foot house, you're going to save a half a ton to a ton of air. You're going to increase the efficiency of the house a minimum of 30%, especially if they're putting all the, the mechanicals into the attic. And it's just a great way to do it. And you won't have any problems if it's done correctly. How do you monitor and measure the indoor air quality in your homes? Is this something that's required or is this an additional, you know, package? it's not required. Uh, Fortunately, we're dealing with a lot more educated consumer nowadays. And and we do highly recommend that you put in that there's there's a very, very good CO2 sensor made by Honeywell. There's one that's duck-mounted into the ducts, and uh, there's nothing wrong with it, and we, we spec out a lot of them, but there's also one that, that mounts on the walls, just like a thermostat. And, you know, if, if you're building up, uh, it, it monitors not only CO2, but it monitors seven other gases, and off the top of my head, I wish I could just spout them off for you, but I can't. Uh, I'd have to pull up the chart and actually tell you, but uh, typically, if it's building up CO2, you, that's a good indication the house is, is having some problems in air changes. And so that's where you put on the, the ventilation on demand. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer, only bring in outside air when you need it, not just because someone thinks you need it. Well, I think I, I you know, we had, um, we've had quite a few people recently that are researching that, you know, and they're, they're, I think they're on the same wavelength with you. In fact, I think I put you in touch with um, Dr. Corsi down at the University of Texas, Austin. And we've had some other people on who are, are looking at the same thing. You know, can we can we re- reduce the amount of exterior outside air and still get good clean air in, in, in homes? And, and they, I think that's something you've been doing for 30 years now. And um, but. Did the type of system that you're installing now, it's got, if I noticed, it had HEPA filtration, and then I believe you had UV lights in there, and then you also had um, some uh, VOC removal capabilities. I think, it, I don't know if it was potassium permanganate or some activated. It was, and, okay. and it also has a charcoal filter. And a charcoal filter. And the, the, this, that particular filter you're talking about that we spec out a lot, is actually made in Canada, and it's a it's a great little filter system. It costs about five hundred dollars. Uh, the way that it filters the air, it's got a little uh, fan that that runs continuously and designed to run continuously, and gives you two hundred and fifty cfm's of of purified air. And the the only kicker to it is you have to change the charcoal filter about every six months because 
it absorbs a lot of uh, VOCs and things of that nature and has to be changed regularly. But the other filters don't have to be serviced but about every two years because it's not a filter that goes through the entire, the, the HVAC system isn't running its total air through that. It's taking out uh, a sampling of the air and then putting it back in further down, taking it out from the return, putting it in on the supply side. And so it's, it's literally just pulling air out and, and continually cleaning it and putting it back into the system. I know Cliff has a question. Let's go over to Cliff. Sure. Yeah, Richard, I have one question. Um, what happens in the event of water damage in these houses? I don't mean flooding, you know, like you're having down in Texas, but, you know, an interior pipe break or, or something like that where walls and, and floors and, and ceilings and things like that uh, get wet. Do you have any experience on uh, how well restoration companies are able to do structural drawing in these homes? Well, uh, not really. I mean, that's, that's not our field of expertise. I do know, I mean, you can still have, when I say that, that our systems are designed to where you don't have mold and mildew and, and that it, it kills uh, uh, dust mites and so forth, you can still have mold and mildew around a pipe if it's a constant water source. So you have to address the, the problem, you know, and, and if you have busted things like that. You can, you can get a little mold and mildew and stuff like that, but it's not going to spread. It's going to stay right there where it's got its food source and its water source and so forth. And, of course, once they fix it, then it's, it's, uh, it's alleviated. Oh, let me possibly re- do a little bit of thought. What I meant was, you know, like a, a leaking, not a leaking pipe where it's dripping. I mean a leaking pipe where, you know, you're getting, uh, you know, the full water volume through that pipe of eight or 10 gallons a minute, or, you know, the people are on vacation and something happens and, you know, we end up wetting out uh, the entire interior of the house. You know, one of the things that restoration companies need to do is they need to get air to pass. They need to put air and, and energy where the water is. And I'm just wondering, um, whether because these houses are so tight, whether it's possible or not. Well, I certainly think it's possible. Uh, you know, again, you're you're asking me to comment on something that's really not my field of expertise. But okay. uh, we've only done a couple of houses that had all fixed glass, and, or ninety percent fixed glass. You still have to have egress. But uh, you know, uh, certainly, even if the house is super tight, you can open up windows. And you can put fans on it and, and, you know, keep it on there until the water has been alleviated, assuming it's not 100% humidity outside and raining. But, uh, you know, again, that's just something that it's a problem that obviously needs to be fixed. Is it, is it our problem? No, not really. And so I really don't have a lot of expertise in, in that. And we, quite honestly, we haven't run across it too much. So Fair enough. It's not something I could really comment on. And, and want someone to go go to the bank with my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's go to the roundup here, guys. We've got um, about nine minutes left, and we can go over a little bit as long as you don't have to run right away, Richard. I am fine. I'll be here as long as you want. Fantastic. Let's go to the roundup. We'll ask one more question. We'll bring in Nate Adams. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up. Raw high. Hit him up, raw high. Ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him. All right, we got the rawhide theme there. Let's bring Nate Adams on. Nate, you do we have you? 
Yes, I'm here. We're going to talk to you in more detail next week, and I think what we can do is follow up on some of the topics that we we discussed today and get your you know, your your feedback from the um, energy performance perspective. You go out and deal with these homes, and you've you've dealt with the, uh, you know, you've been a part of the traditional programs. You're developing one, I think, that's a little more, a little less traditional. What are your thoughts on today and comments or questions that you might have for Richard? Um, well, first off, I should say uh, Richard is one of my gurus because uh, he's been spending 30 years learning all the stuff that's counterintuitive. Um, so I appreciate you know, just knowing him. But uh, uh, the question that I have is basically on measurements. There's two different pieces to it, um, which is, uh, Richard, how do you get those kilowatt-hour readings from your clients? How consistently do you get them? That, that's a great question, Nate. When we first started for about 15 years, for every house that or structure that we would do, like commercial as well, we would send out 24 or, or 60 pre-stamped cards on it, and it would have all the information. It would have, you know, Mr. and Ms. Jones at 123 Main Street, and the house is uh, 3,000 square feet, and the guarantee, it's all electric, and it's guaranteed for $50 a month, you know, and all that information. And it, they would be pre-stamped, and we would ask them to uh, to fill it out once a month and then send it in. And we did that for about 15 years to collect lots and lots and lots of data so that we could uh, uh, really know where we were and make sure that we were on the right path and so forth. The problem got that after uh, after about the first five years, they would fill out one or two to begin with, and then they they just chunk them. And we would literally have to call because... We, we went through, uh, there's a, an insurance company called John Alden Group, and we actually got to the point that we thought, well, the, the, the big boys, if, if they do this, they're going to want some assurance by a, an insurance provider. And so we, we contacted the John Alden Group, and uh, they said, submit 2,500 homes that you've done with the guarantees and show us what you're doing. And, and we did. But it literally took us a little while because none of them were complete. We'd have partials, this and that and whatnot. So we literally, for a couple of years, had our girls, once a month, they, they would call ones that wouldn't send them in, and they'd say, please send us your card. We really need them, you know, because we're trying to, to put together all the, the data. And we've, we've got all this data. We've got bits and pieces here and there. But, and certainly, if, if they didn't perform, you know we would have heard from them. <laughs> yeah, but what, what would happen is, Typically, as an engineering firm, if we if we tell you that the guarantee is going to be a hundred dollars a month, and, and on a five thousand square foot house, people look at that and go, "Oh, you can't do that. That's impossible." Well, they don't even realize we've got a forty percent pad in it because we're not in the business to pay guarantees. And if they really do it the way that we've engineered it, it we expect it to come in forty percent less. And so uh, that's how we collected our data, and it was it was very very difficult. But on every house, we encouraged them on a meter and we say call us with your first few months utility bills and if you have a problem if it goes over in any two months continuously please call us right then we just don't have any problems how many of these so homes go ahead locally we're able to gather quite a bit of information once it gets out beyond where our people can can get to it we we just haven't had it and Which, how many except, guarantees have you done with how many failures oh well I don't really call them failures. We've done over 40,000 guarantees with meters on them. And, and the, we, in 1986, 
we had eight guarantees that went over the the, uh, the guaranteed amount. And when we went out to re-engineer them and find out why, uh, in 1986, all eight of those houses were done with Janitrol equipment. Your HVAC guys are going to love me here, too. <laughs> they were done with Janitrol equipment, which is now Goodman. And at that time, Janitrol, uh, the, the, the industry joke was that it was called Janajunk. And we were lucky if a three-ton piece of equipment would give us two tons worth of capacity. Now, all the Janitrol installers knew that, and so they'd, they'd upsize them. You know, if they call for three tons, they'd put in a four ton. If they call for four tons, they'd put in a five. Well, we didn't know that. We, we were depending on the ARI guidebook to be accurate. And so literally in all eight of these houses, we had to write letters and say, we're going to go ahead and pay it because that's what we guarantee you do. And the most we paid was eight, uh, $40 for, for one year. Hmm. And, and we paid them and said, here's the problem. And the first chance you get when that piece of equipment wears out, don't go back with Janitrol. And how many homes have you done now over this 30-year period? Over 40,000. Over 40,000 homes. Okay. And, and Cliff, before I go to my last question, do you have one? Yeah, it's, it's just uh, a, a simple question, Richard. Is all the work that you do new construction, or do you do some retrofit work as well? Well, new construction is prim primarily our expertise. We are working with uh, with Nate, and uh, he he has come up with his program, and we certainly think that we can help him validate his program because uh, the the problem with existing construction is once the once the sheetrock goes up, you're almost too late to really do all of the things that we we want done, and so. Uh, with retrofit, you can certainly come in, suck out the insulation, and spray the attic with foam. You can certainly change out the ductwork, put in a, a high-performance duct system, and change out the equipment, and even change out the windows if you want to go that far. And most of the time, it's not worth the effort. But you know, th there's lots of things you can do to to existing stuff to make it very, very good-performing structures. But it will never perform as well as a well-done from the beginning energy-wise house. Understood. Thank you. Richard, what are the big changes that you've seen over this 30-year period with respect to improvements in energy? What, what have been the big um, breakthroughs, if any, that you've seen over that time period? And then, if you could maybe project into the future a little bit, what do you see on the horizon? Well, the thing that, that is really impressing me that's coming about here recently is the new variable speed condensing units. I don't mean two speeds. Two speeds are fine, and, and they work fine, and, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of a new thing for most people, but uh, the market's going to be inundated in the next few years with truly variable speed equipment, and there's one geothermal company that I've worked with for over 33 years, specking out their equipment, and I've worked with all of them, Water Furnace, Climate Master, all of them. This, this one is actually a company out of Arkansas called Hydrotemp. And they make a truly variable speed drive unit, like their, their six-ton unit. When it first comes on, it takes less than three amps for it to start up. So it's a soft start piece of equipment where it may take 150 amps for a six-ton unit to normally start up. And when it starts up, it's going to be at, at uh, about 13,000 BTUs, a little over one ton. And it can literally ramp up as the needs for the house ramp up to give it whatever it needs at that time. And, and I think that utilizing that with, with uh, the, I mean, 
we've all developed great things for, for the thermal envelope, caulking packages, great insulation packages, once you understand, you know, the, the difference in, in how they actually perform in, in different areas. And so that, that's really a piece of cake. And I really think that the HVAC industry, that the ball's kind of in their court, and the, this new piece of equipment is going to really uh, revolutionize energy efficiency. I mean, I, I've got some houses. I've got one that we, we did that was uh, three miles from Al Gore's house, and, you know, Al professes to be the great conservationist. <laughs> and Al uh, has a 14,000-square-foot mansion in Tennessee. And we, we went to the utility company and pulled his gas and, and electric bills, and he averages $2,500 a month for 14,000 square feet. We've got a 13,553-square-foot house, that was done with foam, insulation, the energy-wise caulk package, average windows, had a U-value of 0.33, and then hydrotemp geothermal heat pumps, and that structure averages less than $300 a month total utilities hmm. for nearly difference. the same size structure. Big difference. So, you know, which would you rather have, a 2,500-square-foot, 14,000-square-foot house, a $2,500 a month, or a $300 a month, 14,000-square-foot house? So that's the future, huh? The the mechanical side is getting better. What about um? Well, let me go, Nate. Did you have any final questions or comments? I do, but I know you have more, so you go. Well, <laughs> now go ahead. I'll I'll finish it up with mine. Okay. Well, then one other measurement question, uh, Richard. Uh, uh, do you have measurements on the eighty percent versus ninety percent furnace that you were talking about? And what I didn't finish saying, Nate, is we look real close at the, the heating load. You know, in the past, uh, the HVAC guys out there would, would, most of them would run loads. You know, they just didn't know how to do it or didn't want to do it or didn't want to take the time to do it. And so, you know, all of a sudden you, you put in a, a furnace that's an 80,000 or 120,000 BTU furnace, and you actually run the loads, and you've got a 30,000 BTU load. You go, that's insane. And what, what it ends up doing, you know, we, we've all talked about how it hurts the industry to oversize air conditioning equipment because it'll short cycle, use more energy, keep too much moisture in the house. Most people don't realize that an air conditioning unit has to run eight minutes, eight minutes before it gets the first drop of humidity out of that house. So if it comes on for five minutes and shuts off for ten, that's not a good system. You're going to have a real problem. But you, you can have those same problems with, with the heat. And so if it comes on with a hundred or an 80,000 BTU furnace on a 30,000 BTU load, what it's going to do, I promise you folks, the second year you move into a new house, you're going to be calling your builder and you're going to say, hey, man, you must have used a really crappy finish guy because everything in my house that's got caulking in it is starting to crack and, mm -hmm. and, and peel away from the wall. All your crown molds and base molds and around your cabinetry and fireplaces and things of that nature. And so you've got a maintenance call that you don't have to have if it's done right. And we, we've got a volume builder here in Dallas that uses our system. wish we had more time to talk about him. And we actually did some side-by-side -side comparisons of fiberglass houses. And uh, when we went through the, summer, the hottest summer in the history of Texas, he had a model home locked at 75 degrees with our system that the utility bill for heating and cooling was 56 bucks for 2,700 square feet. And in his model home with fiberglass facing the same direction, exact same model home, 
it was nearly five hundred dollars. Hmm. But we were at ninety percent less, or eighty five percent less, in utilities for cooling in that that horrible month we had in two thousand and eleven. So anyway, and and the thing is, he says he's he's literally eliminated his warranty calls of having to go back and recall houses since he went to the Energy Wise program. You know, before we go, I just we've done a lot today and I'd love to get you back and if we can bring that builder on that would be awesome we could you know oh, absolutely. do some uh, really talk about the, the specifics in a little more detail but we've covered a lot today and, and I kind of jumped around a little bit Richard I want to make sure before we go you have the last opportunity to add anything or to clarify anything you said today and then you know we'll wrap it up from there uh, no, I, I, I think everything I said was pretty self-explanatory, and I uh, hope my HVAC guys didn't get mad at me about the 80 versus 90. I mean, it's a true statement, but I recommend 90s because they're they're a better piece of equipment. So don't don't get too excited. <laughs> and right. you have to have them when you do an enclosed attic because you can't use a a uh, uh, a non-closed combustion furnace in in an enclosed attic. <laughs> and you're doing all enclosed attic. Primarily, yes. Primarily, I would say about ninety-five percent. And I guess you know it's just so interesting. There were so many things we covered. I'm not sure where where I'd like to go with respect to what what's next. You know, and and you kind of gave me an idea of what's next with respect to new things. And are are you getting uh, any people contacting you about new indoor air quality related? Uh, products or indoor well, air quality. Well, we certainly talk about that all the time, and uh, you know, we 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 highly recommend that, uh, especially these people. They're they're so educated, and uh, it, it's so good that the internet provides so much information in one respect, and yet in another respect, it's kind of like old Mark Twain used to say. You know, uh, Mark Twain had a saying that that it's it's not what we don't know that'll get us into trouble. It's what we know for sure, and it just ain't so. And unfortunately, there's a lot of information out there that, on the Internet that it just ain't so. And, and so as long as they've really done their homework and they truly are educated, that's a great customer to work with because uh, they will make very diligent choices in what goes into their home. You know, you don't have to clean up a whole lot of the indoor air if, if you put in good quality products. And if you just leave it up to the builders, you're going to have carpets and uh, cabinetry giving off formaldehyde gases. And, you know, you just you have to be diligent in what and telling them what you want. And hopefully you have the pocketbook to be able to do that. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes you don't. But we can help clean it up or make sure it stays clean from the get-go uh, by, by putting in good quality systems. Well, you just opened up a whole new topic but we won't have time for that um i will definitely bring you back on that topic because that is a, that's a great point i mean the first thing you want to do is not add you know bad products that are emitting uh, vocs or whatever and and you know then you don't have to clean them up but that costs money unfortunately well, not as much what do you, you know, mean not, not as much not well, as much. you know, you've got a certain amount of air cleaning you're going to have to do due to detergents and chemicals brought into the house and bleaches and things of that nature. But, you know, if you address everything and you know it's a problem and you know it from the get-go, then it's easier to address them and, and it, doesn't be, it doesn't become a big problem. Okay. 
right. Well, that's great. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, Richard. I'm glad uh, Nate. Actually, Nate told me I should get you on here, so thank you, Nate. That was much appreciated. Uh, Thank you, Nate. Uh, This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Richard Rue of uh, Energy Wise Structures down in Dallas, Texas. Great stuff. We'll have a good blog, I'm sure, this week, Cliff. I'll try. Um, and um, Cliff will put out the blog. We'll get it out to the guys and make sure that everything's good. We'll get it out midweek next week. And uh, I want to say thanks to Cliff, the Z-Man Zlotnick, as always, my co-host. To uh, John. Fun, Joe. I learned a lot. John, you got to have faith uh, at the controls. Not one glitch today. Beautiful. Except TalkShoe was kind of – every every week when we go to sign in, Cliff, TalkShoe's down for some reason, and then we have to re, <laughs> reboot, reboot, reboot. But uh, thanks again, guys, and, of course, to Nate Adams for joining us. And Nate will be our guest next week. We're going to continue the conversation on – Basically, energy-wise structures. I like that name, too, Richard. So please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 